DJ and PK, time to welcome in Greg Hansen, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest to you. Greg, good morning. Hey, how you guys doing? I thought you might go skiing today. <laughs> <laughs> go play golf. <laughs> <clears throat> Come down here and we'll, we'll get a cheap time in the next 10 minutes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we're curious right now if uh, people uh, who are Pac-12 fans are just getting tea times, unconcerned about the future of the conference, or if there's a lot of hand-wringing about the current state of affairs with uh, – Colorado obviously losing a coach after just a year and getting his money doubled, even though he had a losing record, and exposure for the Pac-12 network, and the long laundry list of things that people love to complain yeah. about when Larry Scott's name comes up. Yeah. Well, you know, what really struck me last week during the whole Colorado episode was that in a four-year period, Big 12 schools get $140 million more million over those four years in media rights money than the Pac-12 schools. and I mean, that's how do you ignore that? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think that you can. Uh, I think that you have to look at it and see where is this going and where is it going to continue to go and what does this discrepancy mean for the conference and how can they overcome it? I mean, does it only mean they can build bigger and better buildings and pay more money to coaches? Does it go beyond that? Yeah, I think that's the issue. Yeah, I, yeah, it's going to have to go beyond that. But how can yeah. the conference get to where it wants to be in order to actually go beyond it? Well, the Arizona State president last week, Michael Crow, who's probably Larry Scott's only uh, backer, I know he said that um, um, wait till twenty twenty four, it's all going to change. And you know, I don't know if anybody believed that. Um, think suddenly in 2024 when the new media rights deal is done for the Pac-12 that suddenly Arizona and Utah are going to get $100 more million over a four-year period? I don't know. That I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. I looked at UCLA and Stanford home games this year and just wondered where the passion was for either one of those clubs. And to a large oh, degree, man. and to a large degree, you know, LA and San Francisco, that that's where the people are. That's that's what the money that's going to drive the Pac-12. But you know, um I've been traveling in the Pac-12 since 1980 and the first few times I went to football games at Stanford and UCLA you know, and I was a newbie. I was wondering, wow, is this all they draw? And it, it never really changed. Maybe one or two years when UCLA had a Rose Bowl team late in the season, fans jumped on. And at Stanford, even in those terrific years under uh, Harbaugh and David Shaw, they had trouble drawing 50,000. So I'm kind of to the point where I think San Francisco and LA people aren't going to be college football fans. Yeah, I think, you know, I grew up down there in Phoenix myself, went to ASU. My first job, Greg, was at the Casa Grande Dispatch, if you could believe that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, you remember, actually, you probably would remember her, Lynn DeBruin. Oh, very well. Um, yeah. she, she died, didn't she? Yeah, yeah she came up here uh, working for Associated Press, and uh, actually, yeah, I think she was breast cancer, and it, it did it did yeah. unfortunately take her life. But anyway, she and I worked together 
at the Crassic Grand Dispatch in 1985, if you, if you can believe that. <laughs> that was a pretty talented <laughs> <laughs> yeah, So, uh, So I've been involved in this conference, not professionally as long as you, but uh, having grown up in it. And you look at these teams, and you're right, the passion isn't there. And, and then I worked at the Salt Lake Tribune for a number of years and traveled around the country. And so yeah. you see the passion that exists in, you know, I've been to Death Valley, I've been to Michigan, Michigan State, Florida, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you see the passion that exists in those other places. And it's really nothing like uh, you can compare it to in the West. I mean, maybe uh, Oregon and SC if it's got it going on against Notre Dame or something. But I'm wondering, is that something that money can make up? Because you can have all the money in the world, but if you still hire the wrong people, what difference does it make? So do you think that if you had smart administrators hiring the right people, that they can somewhat make up for the lack of finances, the lack of passion, and all the things that get in the way from the Pac-12 being able to be on par with these other Power Five conferences? Well, there's no better example than, than Arizona because when they're good, and even when they're just average, you know, they could draw 55000 in football, but they've hired three wrong coaches in the last 20 years. They hired coaches who had been fired from Texas, John Makovic, fired from Michigan, Rich Rodriguez, and now fired from Texas A&M. Kevin Sumlin, and they all had lost their, I mean, they were out of their prime years, and they come here and just went flat, and suddenly Arizona had the lowest attendance last year since 1975, which is unthinkable, Yeah, because the community has gone from about 300,000 to 1.2 million, <laughs> and they had trouble getting 25,000 actual people in the seats last year. I mean, I think you nailed it. If you keep hiring the wrong guys like Arizona has, there's no end to it. And so, now they can't afford to pay off Kevin Sumlin. Yeah. So they're going to have another year where they draw 25000 So really it comes down more than to having the right commissioner making the right decisions at the right time and the right coaches doing the right thing. And this is really a people issue and we're focusing too much on the dollars. Boy. I think that's a huge part of it because, I mean, again, talking about Arizona, they could have hired um, Ken Nuiantololo, the Navy coach, who's just a wonderful human being. And he, how do you make a Navy into an 11 and 2 program like they were last year and like they've been many years? He could have come here and rallied the whole community because he's a personality. And um, instead, they went for the quote big name Kevin Sumlin, and, and he's detached, invisible, and so there's no buy-in. And I, I think it's like, I mean, Utah's got the perfect solution, I think, with a Utah guy who works hard, totally bought in. Everybody in the community knows him. And his recruiting is regular. Uh, he can punch it out with anybody. And to me, he's the prize catch in the entire league. Uh, and it shows because they get in the, the league and in eight years, they're as good as anybody. Yeah, I've I've often said in some of these places, like like Tucson and and certainly here at Utah, 
and uh, you, know, you fill in the blank in some schools. They've, they're doing it now with Oregon State, with uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, yeah. that it's important to get somebody who has a buy-in to the community, not somebody who's just looking for another job. And you bring up Rich Rod, you know, he had a little bit of success, and then he's looking to get out the door, and then it blows up on him. And so it not only do you not progress, but you set your program back X amount of years. So I believe it's important in these places that are a little bit off the beaten path to find guys who have a connection. So if they do well, they're more likely to stay. And Kyle Whittingham is the classic example because he's had multiple opportunities to leave. And now he's 60 years old. It doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere. And he's going to leave as the most successful coach in Utah history. Yeah, and you can't get a ticket to their games. They're expanding the stadium. There's excitement. He changed the whole identity of the Utah Athletic Department. Um, <laughs> what, how do you put a price tag on what he means to the school? This, I mean, and now Arizona State's really rising because they hired the right guy, even though he's, you know, he's 65 years old. He comes from the NFL, but he hired all the right people and he engages the public. Um, and he's grooming his assistant coach. Um, Antonio appears to be his replacement. And the irony of that is Antonio Pierce played for Arizona, but the Arizona coaches weren't smart enough to hire him. <laughs> so do you think an all-out PR blitz would help that much? Because it does seem like coaches are really busy and they kinda, they're kind of they in their cocoon and they're not getting out and selling the program. And a lot of them will say, well, just win. That's what sells the program, yeah. but you can't get out and sell it. And yet you say bring in – a personality like the Navy coach, then it would have had an impact in Tucson. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know how busy they are in their own cocoon because they've got uh, 10 assistant coaches and, and about six analysts and um, so many operations directors that you tell me they can't afford to go out in the public and, and stir up interest. Arizona just sent out its spring football schedule, and Kevin Summon is available for media interviews three times in six weeks. I mean, that's that's just almost unprecedented. I mean, college football coaches should talk after every practice. They always have. But Kevin Sumlin talks three times in six weeks. Yeah, what's his deal, man? He's just not good enough to be that, uh, I don't know what you want to say, uh, unavailable, I guess. Yeah, well, Rich Rodriguez was just like that, too. He, You could tell he didn't like to be here. And he tried to get the South Carolina job, and when he didn't get it, he was just angry. And the program blew up, and he got fired, and they had to pay him $6 million to go away. And then they hired Kevin Sumlin, who had been paid $10 million to go away at Texas A&M, and they guaranteed him $10 million if they fired him here. So, (laughs) I mean, uh, certainly not a Utah situation. It's good to be a mediocre football coach, huh? Yeah, no <laughs> he drives his white Porsche, you know, to practice, right, and parks it right against the gate. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so when we hear the Pac-12 can't get in the playoff and all that, we have people uh, tweeting at us, well, it really comes down to USC and Oregon and maybe Washington, because who else has really yeah. done much on a national level? Are you buying that, that the hand-wringing about the playoff really only applies to three schools and the other nine would be just over the moon to – to win a conference title? I, I guess looking at it at, at the surface, I would kind of agree with that. But then I see how close Utah came. 
Um, so you know it can be done. Um, I would sure like to see, not just because I grew up in Utah, I'd sure like to see them Utah stay at that level and compete at the top. Um, I think it can be done from somebody other than USC and Oregon. I mean, obviously Stanford's been right on the, the edge. Um, I think Arizona State is, a, and people use this term way too often on them, a sleeping giant. <laughs> they've got a shot now. They, they really have. They have a terrific athletic director, and Herm Edwards is just a special guy. And they had a really strong recruit, recruiting class, so maybe you know they could edge up there. You speak of their athletic director, Ray Anderson. I was listening to him last week in a Phoenix sports radio station talking about after the Mel Tucker thing saying, yeah, the, we're just not going to go and pay those types of salaries because he got his salary doubled to go to Michigan State after going one season five and seven, and the conference isn't going to do that. I think to an extent he's talking out of both sides of his mouth because they did pay Todd Graham $10 million to go away, as you say, yeah. and that's a lot of money. And so they bring in Herm. So they're basically end up paying two coaches. So you know, it, it's in the millions, but they don't have the money to pay – uh, for that coach, but yet they are actually, in a sense, when you look yeah. at it. Um, but it's but he's going on. His point is, you know, we're a comprehensive athletic pro, uh, conference, and you know, Bill Walton with his conference of champions stuff that he says five trillion times because we all know yeah. being involved in the conference that they're really good in all those other sports. And do you think that that's somewhat of a cop out? Well, we haven't gone in the football playoff, but look at us over here, and so they're trying to trumping it up in the in the way that the big uh, big uh, 12 did when they were go we just have one true champ we play everybody before they got the approval to have the conference game the point being that you just trump up what you have and that's what they're doing uh, and I'm wondering how how well is that going to sit with the fan bases yeah we're really good in women's tennis but we have nobody ranked in the top 10 in football I don't think it works at all because just for example, Arizona again. Arizona's now number 11 in women's basketball, and they've got about the best softball and women's golf and men's golf programs in the country. But, I mean, who really cares? Right. Um, now, I, in a general sense, who, who cares? I know what's well, funny, the Team USA Olympic softball team was in Tucson last night, and then, you know, it sold out way in advance, and they've got a new $8 million softball stadium. But, it's funny, I talk to people around the community and they go, it's just girls softball. So it just befuddles me because Arizona's won eight national championships in softball. And I run into people all the time who don't even know who the coach is. Candrea. Yeah, Cassie Graham guy. I covered him at Central <laughs> Arizona College before he took over to go you, to you to go to Tucson. You, I'm going to hear more about you on a golf course. <laughs> well, it just so happens, Greg it brought just, it up. I know, I know, it does. I get it. His brother coached hey, baseball at Washington in the Phoenix area, Washington High School. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did. You know, Mike Andrea makes well over a million dollars every year in his total compensation. So it's. You know, those programs are relevant. Yeah. So what would you advise the Pac-12 to do to turn this around and shake off this, uh, I don't know, this uh, malaise that is uh, gripping, this this bad attitude that seems to be sweeping the conference? Do you think it's as simple as 
USC breaking through next year in football and Keaton Slovis being a you know a Heisman contender and suddenly everybody looks at the league differently. That mm, means <laughs> I I want to say yes, but that means that all this analysis and hang hand wringing by fans and yeah. experts is just you know people crazy and up in the night. But then I look at the Big Twelve and think, man, if Oklahoma fell apart, would everybody be saying the same thing about the Big Twelve? Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. That could happen pretty quickly if Oklahoma fell apart. So before we let you go, Greg, uh, you know I, I'm an ASU grad. I want to I want to be clean on come clear on that. And I got to yeah. admit, one of my simple pleasures in life is going on Twitter and typing in the name Sean Miller after the Wildcats lose a basketball game. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I have a perverse pleasure on that. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of animosity every time they lose. If they happen to blow a 22-point lead, say, to Arizona State, which I didn't mind. But nevertheless, uh, how much heat, if any, is that guy under? Um, huge. Because the NCAA notice of allegations is going to come at any time. And it could be pretty severe. He could get suspended. Um, it could blow up their recruiting class, and they could have, I don't know if he could survive. They owe him a ton of money. But, you know, to me, there's a real thing about the shelf life of, of college football coaches or college basketball coaches, and he's been here 11 years now. And I mean, he's just a hard guy. He's a, you know, he's, yeah, he's just uh, comes across as angry all the time, and and when he was winning, and he had about five just exceptional seasons in a row, he was the most loved guy in town. And now he's stumbled, and then they're under investigation, and it, it's all changing. He's got these one-and-done guys, and they're not quite good enough to take you, you know, to the Elite Eight or anywhere. So how do you get out of this situation? They almost have to start over. Well, we'll leave it right there, Greg. We appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot. Talk to you guys later. Greg Hansen, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star. So if I come away with anything from that, I hear, uh, number one, get better at selling yourself. Oh, for you sure. you got to get out there and, and talk it up. and uh, We're lucky here. And sell the program. We are so lucky. And then number guys. two, just get SC back to being SC. These guys have been tying their shoelaces together down there forever, firing coaches on the tarmac, having scandals all over the campus. They got the or maybe celebrities' like, kids getting fake scholarships uh, to play on teams. And, maybe just go with a new superpower five hours to the east. Did, did he oversell Herm a little too much for you? Well, He's compared to and someone. 11. Compared to someone. Oh, all day long. That's what the, the comparison is. Yeah, you know, I get that. Right. I mean, Herm's, Herm's high-fiving. Herm is McBride. He's high-fiving the women's teams in basketball. He goes to the games. Mm-hmm. And, and it builds enthusiasm. He's selling his yeah. program. Sumlin, he ain't selling Jack. <laughs> no. And I was down there when the Utes went down there. And there's nobody there. Yeah. No, I remember watching the game on TV. You're right. There was nobody there. Yeah. And they were it's embarrassing. For, for a program that had, had been pretty middling, they, they drew well. I mean, if, if you're going to be seven, okay. f- seven and five, five and seven, and you're going to get 50,000 people to show up. Right, 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 right. That's right. good. Yeah. That, that oh, is yeah, solid. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think the population growth in the West around a lot of programs and attendance isn't growing, that's a red flag. 
you got to sell it. But yeah, I do think your point is just get somebody in there, get the albatross off your back, and then uh, we'll start a new uh, storyline. But the storyline just keeps building each year they fail to get in. But the SEC is the only league that's three, four, five teams deep with legit national contenders. The ACC has one. The other two have been down for a decade, Miami and Florida State, and nobody else is. And it's USC. <laughs> and sleep on Bronco. <laughs> if Bronco does that, that'll be awesome. Because you just don't do that at Virginia. There's zero history of doing that at Virginia. The Big Ten, they've been left out of the playoff multiple times, too. Now, Ohio State is currently carrying it. And Michigan. I guess that's all you need, And though. Penn State and Michigan State and Wisconsin look good, but it's... How, how, if I got one and you got zero, I'm better than you. Right. But let's not say that whole league's awesome and this whole league is brutal. But they're getting the money, that, too. I, I get your are. point, but they're that also getting the money. That flagship school has got its act together right well, now, I mean, Ohio State with the Clemson and Oklahoma. Too. Right. And if you want to go Big 12, too, yeah. But the perception is all this other stuff. Coaches don't leave to go other places. The Ohio State coach doesn't leave to go to uh, West Virginia. Right. Wherever. But does, do smart coaches get out there and say, wait a minute, do I want to be Tucker and go there and risk getting my brains kicked in week after week? For 5.5 million? For 5.5 million? Yes. Or Kyle's over there making three and a half for four million, and you get a chance to have a decade-long run. Maybe I should be over there. Is if that you extra can, million if, worth If it? you can do what Kyle has done. There, there's that. All right, DJ PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Brought to you in part by Ken Garf, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram. Get a new Jeep or Ram for less at Ken Garf, West Valley, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram. Visit them today. Big Show. Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. You ready? You guys ready? Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. I think everybody in the West has a shot. Everybody's in the mix. And specifically talking about the Jazz, I think it continues to be their thing is to keep getting Mike Conley comfortable. It sounds like it's just lip service sometimes, and I say this on the show a lot, but chemistry is the most important thing. The more games Mike Conley spends playing alongside Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles, that whole group, the better they're going to be. And I would put the Jazz among the true threats at this point in the conference. I still think the Lakers and Clippers have to be considered co-favorites, but of that next tier, I think Utah's right there at the top. Turn this up. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Purchase Ford fans on all you need tickets to an upcoming Utah Jazz game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream starting as low as $37 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford fans on all you can eat tickets now. Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz Radio Studio Analyst and former Utah BYU basketball staffer. Tim, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good to be with you. Does this all-star break just drive you nuts? This is too many nights without NBA basketball. This is... uh, Too many nights. It it was nice for a minute. It was nice for a minute to catch everybody catch their breath. But, yeah, it's it's a little extended into the week. So uh, it creates winter doldrums or, or one thing and then not having a really anything major to watch uh, I, I I concur it's, it's a little bit long it's a little bit long but I'm starting to get into my second favorite time of the year my first favorite is when I kick your butt on the golf course huh. the second oh. I mean, shots fired true what it yeah it's true I mean you you got room for potential you're not quite there yet uh, but still too much of a fade you know I gotta <laughs> 
tighten that thing up. <laughs> this time of year is when I really start to get jacked about basketball. Once we've passed President's Day, now all these brackets and stuff, I don't really pay attention to them before, but now... You know, you know who's going to have a good shot to get in, and who's uh, maybe can they move up a seat or two? And and now the NBA, the finish line is there. Uh, one of the and you can see it, and they know it, and somehow it just makes it all right. We got to turn it on now. Jazz got twenty eight games. One of the things we had on Chris Burgess last week, and he said to us, uh, he said we've told these kids you got six weeks to go. And we need everything you got in these next six weeks because it's going to go by and then it's going to be over. And with the senior-laden team, it's the same. I think it's the same thing in the NBA, you know, in terms of, all right, now's the time. When you were coaching, did you see, once we got into past middle of February, did you see an opportunity or the, the, the players and the coaches, did you just feel it? Now's really the time to turn it on. Yeah, it's uh, you know I think you get you get a, a second wind um, when you can kind of, for lack of a better word, you know, see the barn. Um, the season is long, and there's you know a lot of of dog days, you know, throughout January. Um, you know, you kind of go through that period of time where it's really exciting to play preseason games. You get rolling, you get through that, you get into league, and man, it becomes just like knocking your head against the wall. Um, but when you can actually see, you know, you're weeks away from uh, a conference tournament uh, or in the NBA context, the playoffs, and, and everybody's at that point jostling for position, um, you, you do get a second wind. And then once that that second season kind of starts, um, it, it even brings you more because at that point, hey, you know, everything's kind of reset and everybody's got a chance. So, um, this is definitely a time where I think everybody's fatigued and, and worn out, but at the same time feeling, you know, pretty energized by what's in front of them. So unlike PK, I'm following the brackets like a month earlier, and then he's making fun of me, which is, uh, you know, no, pow- you, it's power of the show for years. So preseason, dude. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm totally against the Lenardi October bracket. The I draw, 68. I draw the line against the October bracket. <laughs> But by, okay, okay, but, we believe but, you. <laughs> but, but by mid-December, I'm all in. And I think part of the reason is that when you look at these leagues and look at Utah State and look at BYU and look at the schedules down the stretch, when Utah State, when two of their last three games are Wyoming and San Jose and they're playing the 10th and 11th place teams, it's like a lot of the work has already been done. You know, the, the die has been cast. There's, there's only a little bit of wiggle room. When you were late in the season, did you feel that sometimes? Like, man, we got seven games left, but there's like two games and everything rides on them. Yeah, I, I guess you could look at it that way. But, I, I mean, I, I think at the same time, you know, I was talking with uh, Cody Seeger last night late um, down at BYU, and, you know, he's in the office just obviously knows they've got Gonzaga on Saturday. But, you know, their focus, and, and it has to be, even though, you know, we look at a Wyoming or a San Jose State or a Santa Clara as, as not one of those big opportunities they become really big issues if you don't take care of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, I mean, the mental focus to be able to understand, hey, every game, obviously there's some that are perceived bigger than others, but they all count. 
everybody, like I said, is jostling for position. Um, right now, you kind of start playing the game where, you know, all right, I guess in, in the WCC, unless you're Gonzaga, I mean, everybody else is trying to figure out where they fit. Um, BYU looks like they're in a really great spot to get all those buys and get a second spot, which is huge. Um, but one night, you know, if you don't take it seriously and you kind of look past it, um, you know, and that that's really costly. So, yeah, I agree with you. There's there's only a couple things that, you know, big things left, but you got to take care of those little things too. All right, so can a four-game losing streak, or actually five-game losing streak, I should say, for the Jazz, and a one-point win at San Diego for the Cougars, is that actually beneficial? Yeah, I I think, you know, and you guys could talk about this, I think uh, I'm a big believer that disappointment or adversity can can motivate you to be better. Um, You know, and, and I'll speak about the BYU thing first, I mean, Going out on the road, it's anybody's guess. I mean, you flip a coin, um, even if you're in a gym that is mostly BYU fans, which San Diego game was. I mean, still you're in an opponent's gym, you know, you're traveling, you're on the second half of a road trip. And really, at the end of the day, my philosophy is it's, they don't ask you how, they ask you how many. Um, um, you know, and so that one point win at the end of the day, BYU got some real uh, strength out of that by, you know, having to execute a couple times to get scores, having to execute down the stretch to get a stop. Um, and that kind of stuff really helps you as tournament time comes around because you're a little stronger because of it. Uh, in the Jazz situation, I say this all the time, they're playing against the best players in the world, and whether we think – you know, it's a watered-down roster. If guys are hurt, at the end of the day, they're still professionals. Um, they're still, you know, if you count up the teams, uh, they're still the best players in the world. And so, in the Jazz case, it's a matter of just kind of sharpening and refining. You know, they go through an 11-game win streak, and everybody is so excited, and there was some real strength in that because the Jazz figured out how to win games a lot of different ways in that 11-game stretch. In the four-game losing streak, I think everybody started to panic because, you know, it was defense wasn't great, and uh, you know, everybody's talking about execution and focus, and um, you know, will Mike Conley ever come around, and all this stuff, and and I think all that stuff just leads to you having a, uh, you know, it tells your story, it helps you define yourself, and I think what the Jazz are looking at now, you know, after winning. Uh, four more in a row is is five games at home, um, all very winnable, um, and kind of get back on on track in that second half with a, a, a big long win streak, and then you know have 28 games like you mentioned, and 16 of them being at home and 12 on the road, and the way the Jazz have played on at home uh, for the most part has been great. So um, use all that stuff to your advantage. I guess that's my long-winded answer. So, in addition to defaulting to December brackets, when it comes to the NBA, I'm also win as many games as you can, get the best seed and the easiest path you can. And I know not everyone thinks like that. And I'm wondering if the Clippers are about to take it to a brand new level. Because they match up pretty well with the Lakers. They seem to be into resting as much as possible in the regular season. And maybe Kawhi Leonard is carrying stuff, previous injury, and he'll never really be right. And he really needs this. 
or they're, maybe they're just being ultra-careful and it's what he thinks he needs. But do you think the Clippers are going to dump enough games and finish fourth on purpose because they think they're that good and why not play the Lakers in the second round? It's two weeks. You don't have to travel in the NBA playoffs. Who gets that? That's an added little bonus, and they think they can beat the Lakers because they've already done it a couple times. How are, how are the Clippers going to handle the stretch run when everybody like Denver and Utah is trying to win? Are the Clippers going to be negotiating a fourth-place finish? It's interesting because, you know, I actually watched, you know, for the first time uh, everybody, you know, I talk about Jocelyn for position. The NBA is a little bit different, and I I did see last year, you know, some gamesmanship down the stretch that I I never really paid that much attention to because I was so caught up in in the college game. But covering the Jazz and watching, you know, the last few nights and watching how everybody handled it, one thing I do know about the Clippers, they've certainly got a plan, um, load management plan with Kawhi, and I think it's probably something that's written into his contract. I would not put it past them, nor really any team, um, to try to play toward a favorable matchup. I think that in and of itself, you know, I, I wish everybody played every night and that every game was important, but it's just not, doesn't seem to be that way. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it past them. I do think at the end of the day, playoffs are all about matchups. And, you know, the, for the Jazz, the biggest thing they can do in my mind is try to avoid the Rockets in the first round. Um, because that is, you know, the Rockets have, have really kind of proven to be um, really tough for the Jazz. And the way they play offense and the way that they play defense causes them a ton of issues. Uh, in the Clippers' case, I, like I say, I'd, I would not be surprised if there is some kind of algorithm that they're already studying to try to figure out positioning because I think that's what the NBA has kind of come to and, and front offices are about. So you mentioned Houston. They pick up Jeff Green and Damari Carroll. How much do you think they'll help? Well, it really all depends. I mean, I think that um, those guys, you know, we kind of saw what Jeff Green has left in the tank and Right, you know, I'd say it's a little bit spotty from what we saw. At least our our data points. Um, I've always been a huge Demari Carroll guy, but I don't know what he brings coming in now to the season. I think it all kind of comes down to how it fits, how guys accept him, how the chemistry is. Um, but two big, you know, athletic, strong guys that can probably do a decent job of. Uh, playing the way the Rockets play, you know, offensively watch Harden and rest or dribble around from the corner, um, get an occasional offensive rebound, defensively switch everything. Uh, so I, I would imagine, I, I don't know that that's a, a move that does much for them in the long run. Last thing, and then we'll let you go here. I'm curious, you know, Mike Conley, statistically, these last four or five games really different. Now, if we hadn't had the All-Star break, you know, he would have played another four or five games. It'd probably, you know, go a long way towards answering itself. But do you think, even if he isn't 25-5 and five guy, if he's even close to that, then all the gnashing of teeth over the last 50-whatever uh, games doesn't matter, does it? No. Uh, and it's actually something I preached you know, just because I've got such a level head. Uh, <laughs> okay. I've, I've from the studio uh, night nightly when I'm in there is, you know, you have to let this thing play out. Uh, we all want to, you know, reading a great book and we all want to turn to the end to see how it ends. But the real joy in it is going through 
story. Um, and, and it's pretty evident that Mike came in, and the expectation in my mind was through the roof. Um, and there was really no credence given to the fact that he uh, was coming to an entirely different locale, you know, geographically, um, trying to settle in with a whole bunch of new teammates um, and a different style of play. I do think that, you know, the biggest issue that has been there for Mike is he's used to having the ball in his hands and making pretty much every play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas now, you know, with Jazz, one of the the great things about this team and then one of the things that's been difficult is they've got a bunch of guys who can initiate offense, who can play in ball screens. Um, And they got a bunch of guys who are capable of doing that. So my thought is that, like you said, DJ, I think that all of this gnashing of teeth uh, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we'll all come back and say, you know, I don't know if it was a great move. And we may come back and say it was the best move Jazz have ever made or somewhere in the middle. But the beauty of it is that's why we get to watch. Um, you know, there was the all-star break, but now we get to start playing games again here soon. Uh, and with five games right out of the gate at home, we'll all get a real good look at how the how this continues to evolve. Tim, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll hear you on the Jazz Broadcast. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz Radio Studio Analyst and, of course, former assistant coach at BYU, and before that he was on the Utah staff. All right, coming up, it's a win tickets Wednesday. Somebody is going to win next. Don't call now. That just gives Yach a chance to hang up on you, which, by the way, he takes a perverse pleasure in. So don't make him any happier than necessary. But we will give away tickets to the Black Crows coming up next. So stay by your phone, and we'll get to that. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. All right, today's the day. Your chance to win tickets to the Black Crows. Chris and Rich Robinson reuniting for a 30-year anniversary celebration of their landmark quintuple platinum debut album, Shake Your Moneymaker, for a 2020 world tour. See them play the album in its entirety, plus all the hits when they come to USANA Amphitheater on Tuesday, September 1st. Tickets are on sale now. Purchase your tickets at LiveNation.com. we got two tickets to the show. September 1st, USANA Amphitheater, right now, 855-340-ZONE. This is your chance to win tickets. Win. It's a win ticket Wednesday. Caller number 12 right now at 855-340-ZONE. And you'll win tickets right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. 855-340-ZONE. Caller 12 right now. Y'all can make you a winner. If you don't win on this show, you can win later today. And if you don't win the free tickets today... You can always go get those tickets. Live Nation. Live Nation. You know how Chris Robinson's mother-in-law used to be? No. I don't. Goldie Hawn. Really? Yes, he was married probably 20 years ago to uh, Kate Hudson, the daughter of old Goldie. Yep. And I don't know what it would be his father-in-law, because did they ever get married, Kurt Russell? 
and old Goldie? I want to say they didn't. But I think Kurt, I think he got as high as double A baseball, maybe even triple. He was a player in his day. Yeah. You get to triple A, you're a pretty good player. Yeah. I think he got to double A, you're a pretty good player. Yeah, I got I got to double. You did? I've told you that with, story with about batteries. I've told oh, okay. <laughs> I've told you that story about uh, Rich Evans. He used to work at the D News. I think he went off to teach at BYU, and he told me once we were talking about uh, somehow about this and and like how close we think we might be to college and pro players. And you get around him, you realize not even remotely close. And he said he was on a on a pretty good softball team. And then they added some guy in who knew somebody, right? And he basically comes aboard as the ringer, the barely legal ringer that you squeeze into the league. And the guy is awesome. And he'd been to double A, I think. And finally, he didn't want to go up to him right away and be that guy. But he's on the team for a few games, and they were sitting in the dugout. And he said, you know, I got I to ask you really good. What, but what separates you out of double A? Why don't you go any, any higher? And this guy is hitting ropes like every time he comes to the plate. He's just crushing the ball and he can hit with power to all fields and he's just he's like he's just awesome and he looks right at him without missing beating and says oh, I couldn't hit a lick <laughs> couldn't hit a lick at that level couldn't hit a lick started seeing sliders and curveballs and just like oh my gosh can't guys change his speeds like you just couldn't hit a lick but then he shows up in your softball league and a good league a good team and he's off the charts compared to all those guys. The gap is massive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, you good, get to double A. You really real are something. A good friend uh, played ball, a uh, little rec ball with him, and uh, he played at Long Beach State and UCSD. And he was the – he went to San Pedro High. He was all-city catcher. And the pitcher on the line, because he showed me the, the, pl- the plaques they got, the pitcher – on the all-city team, was Brent Saberhagen. So, you know, and he was a star for the uh-huh. Royals. And my friend played at Long Beach, and then he transferred to UCSD. And at their level, he was a catcher, but he had to be moved to over to third because the catcher actually played big league ball. And uh, so my friend hit four home runs in their level Call it D two, whatever it was, uh, College World Series. Mm-hmm. He had four home runs, and he had a cannon of an arm, stud with like zero percent body fat. Yeah, he didn't get drafted. <laughs> he did not get drafted. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Right, because yeah. they got like sixty rounds. I mean, somebody take a flyer on this guy. He was a beast. We ran a five k once down in California, and he had gotten there a little late because he was in a bike race. So what he did, and we ran it along the water, and he carried his bike so he could run it. He didn't want to leave it because he didn't want to go back and get the bike at the finish, at the starting line, right? Yeah. So he carried it. <laughs> <laughs> he shouldered term. it and just ran. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. term beast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll he was just an run the rest. I got animal. this. <laughs> absolute animal. He still is. He's still, he's, he's as buff as can be. But man, I was stunned that he didn't get drafted. This guy was, he could throw a ball through the brick wall. He had four home runs. And, and he played at a level where they had to move him because the catcher made the big leagues. He still didn't get drafted. I know. Gosh, I had a prayer of playing professional ball, and really, I had no chance whatsoever. (laughs) If this guy's not making it. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we can all rationalize it away. You and I were both young. You know, we could have, our parents could have put us in school a year later. And then, and, and, I knew it was about 10 years later. And then the way, and then the way <laughs> it's done now with kids being held back, we could have, our senior year could have been our sophomore year. And you know what that would have made us? A slightly better high school player. Nothing else. I think maybe, yeah, because I, I didn't turn 17 until my s- December of my senior year. And I played high school ball all four years. And we had like four juniors. And every junior was older than me. Yeah. Uh, I graduated 140 pounds. Came back, by the time I turned 18, I was 170. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big disadvantage hey, to be no, nine I'm, months I'm holding on to that, and I don't care what you, you say. You still could have been Ron Say. You still could have been third base of if the they, If I would have started, I, see, I wasn't smart or anything. They just started me at kindergarten at four. Sketch so out of the I house. ended up, uh, well, my parents had to work. They both worked yeah. my whole life. And so I started at four. And, uh, yeah, so if I would have started at the regular age and graduated at a, at a lean but buff 170. <laughs> lean but buff. <laughs> I could have been somebody. The young PK, where's that photo that, that Yak and I always crack up about? Is that on your Twitter it's feed? It's on Instagram. It's available Instagram. on the Instagram. Yeah. That Go was to the, PK's Instagram. Go to the gram. It was the day after I graduated high school. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a American male specimen you were. That was 140 at that, <laughs> at that age because I would have been the 17 and a half. hair just flowing. It's worth creating an Instagram account just to go see that photo, people. All right, got to take a break. When we come back, just talk to Tim Lacombe, talk a little basketball. We will get to that coming up. A couple clubs making moves around the edges. Tell you all about that. And we had Greg Hansen on earlier, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star, talking uh, Pac-12 and what's gone wrong and what needs to go right. And we'll get to that next. Stay with us.